0: Welcome to Pi Data Manchester, episode three. Today we're talking about forecasting with Kaylee Haynes, data science team leader at PEAK here in Manchester. Kaylee is involved in Our Ladies Manchester and has a great presence in the data community here, and seems to have the impressive skill of being everywhere at once. Uh, Kaylee, do you
1: have anything to add to that?
2: No, all sounds good. Uh, Thank you very much for allowing me to come on your podcast.
1: Thanks Thanks for coming on. Um, So, for our listeners, um, what does Peak do?
2: Peak, our company based in Manchester, we provide AI solutions for a range of customers. Uh, We focus on areas such as hyper-personalisation, sales maximisation, merchandising planning and fulfilment and supply chain. Cool. pretty yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've got, I guess, two data science teams, or one big data science team that was split into two. Uh, my team is focused more on the forecasting and optimization side, and then we've got another team more on customer three hundred and sixty, hyper personalisation, growths, um, returns, yeah. that sort of thing. So it sounds like forecasting is a big, a big part of your business. It's definitely, um, yeah, at least half of our business. Wow. Um, and uh, just recently. We've had more and more interest in forecasting. I guess lots of companies want to know what's going to happen in the future, <laughs> and it's really important for a wide range
1: of customers. Well, yeah, I mean, I would think for anybody, you know, we um, can tell the future, and that's going to be a you know, really useful skill for everyone. Forecasting is a big part of your business, so how did you get to be the team leader of folk, um, in the forecasting division? I mean, how did you get into uh, forecasting to begin with? <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I think I've just accidentally fallen into forecasting. I guess I didn't forecast I was ever going to be in (laughs) forecasting. Uh, I did a PhD in statistics in the uh, Story Doctorate Training Centre at Lancaster University. My PhD was focused on change point detection, which is a time series analysis tool. Uh, I then started Peak about two years ago. And when I started at Peak, um, because I've got a background in time series analysis, it made sense for me to start a project. That was looking at forecasting and particularly looking at forecasting assets for a tool hire company um i started working on that for i guess about a year and then we decided at well when i started at peak we were still one data science team and then as the team started to grow we realized that we'd have to split into smaller more manageable teams and then it just made sense for me to become the team leader in forecasting just because i've got this sort of experience there that makes
1: sense yeah, I mean, I, I found your, um I remember you did a talk at Mancamel probably a year ago. Yeah, I think that. it was
2: about, I think, last summer, possibly. Mm. Um, it was on forecasting, um, basically looking at the different steps I'd gone through in forecasting. The project that I was working on, we started with traditional forecasting tools such as ARIMA exponential smoothing, which are all packages you can find in R. But we realised at the time it wasn't quite the solution that was going to help us solve the problem that we had um, so my talk at Mancamill was all about actually looking at the business case and where forecasting was going to fit in and then sort of keeping it simple and simplifying the forecast and you don't need something really complicated yeah so I guess it was just looking at ways of forecasting in quite a simple way which is then going to help businesses
1: yeah no that sounds really useful um, I know I've worked um, in a place in the past where we started exploring um, oh, started exploring um, like forecasting with SKUs um, Mm. and we're like okay that's a great idea everyone wants to know what the future's going to be um, but then there were no no
2: actions Mm. to take off the back of it yeah exactly and I think what we'd learnt quite late on was actually asking how they're going to action our forecasts Mm. so we spent a lot of time trying to forecast at a weekly level but then we realised the business was never actually going to action it at the weekly level so they don't want the numbers changing so Frequently, that it's then just going to give them a headache when we're saying this week you need five tools, but next week you need ten, hmm. the week after you need two, because logistically that's just going to become a bit of a nightmare for them. There's going to be fans driving about the country not really knowing yeah. where things need to go. Um, so, then actually, once we had that conversation, we realized well, actually, if we forecast at a monthly level, that's going to be more actionable for them as a business and not going to give the depot managers a headache. Yeah, I think one of the learnings we took from that going forward is now one of the first questions we will ask is well how are you going to use our forecasts and given that you could forecast what is it you're then actually going to use with that forecast?
3: Yeah, right. so, so, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, um, so taking it down from a uh, daily or weekly down to a monthly um, uh, uh, frequency, that yeah. um, just made the modelling a lot easier so did you change what you how you did it How how did the forecasting
2: yeah so I've changed slightly how we're doing the forecasting so what we do for this particular case mm. we were looking at the historic trend and then saying 99% of the time this is the highest it's it would never been it's never going to go above that amount so because sometimes in forecasting you're sort of interested in the mean mm. forecast and then you've got your confidence intervals but in this particular case we were more interested in making sure you were able to fill most of the hires. So we were looking at the higher bounds, so like 99% or 95%. And what we just changed was what that level was. So we realised that the replenishment was a two day replenishment. So we were looking at what's the maximum number of hires you have in a two day window and that becomes the forecast.
1: That's really interesting. I find it fascinating that in so many different business problems. Whereas in Kaggle or whatever um, competition of charts, when you start learning data science, it's all about making sure that you're getting the highest accuracy mm. or um, minimising or whatever business yeah. processes, the, the cost function, or whatever you're trying to um, solve, is very rarely so simple.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's a really important point is, sometimes we are going into businesses and they'll say, well, what's the accuracy of the forecast? And they just want one number. Mm. And most of the time, it's a percentage. and if you say that's five percent or eighty-five percent accurate, what does that really mean? Was it accurate in that one particular day, or was it across time, or did you have to increase that horizon so that your accuracy was that good? And actually, what's more important is well, what can we action from this, and what's going to be the cost associated with getting the forecast wrong or right in
3: particular time windows? Yeah, right. or well, like for other models, it might be like the accuracy itself might not be very useful to know, but knowing how many uh, um, false positives or false negatives you are willing or like what's the easiest yeah. scenario to deal with and what's the most going to be, what's going to be most damaging to the business?
2: That's, that's exactly what it is what's going to be most damaging is, is having a few false negatives, false positives is, um, is that going to be a problem is it a problem then we need to adjust the forecast but if you don't mind that then
0: yeah <laughs> Cathcart Associates is a technology recruitment company with offices in Leeds and Manchester covering all things tech, but with an experienced team focusing on data science in the Northwest. If you listened to our last episode, you'll know that Cathcart are great at what they do and have an ear to the ground when it comes to all things data. Cathcart has sponsored us from day one, our meetup, our podcast, and they even run Mancamel. I can forecast you having a great experience with them. Check out their website in the show notes.
1: brings us nicely to um, some of the stuff we were emailing about before the show um, and you, how you kind of break down your I mean how you break down forecasting and you've got a nice little icon of P-I-V-A-S-E-E. Yeah,
2: P-I-V-A-S-E or something. So that's an acronym we've come across very very recently so within the forecasting team at peak what we're trying to do is a bit of training just to try and get everyone up to speed on forecasting. We've been looking at the principles of business forecasting book, and every few weeks, someone else from the team is presenting another chapter. So within that, I think one of the chapters we looked at was just an introduction to forecasting, and that's where this perverse um, acronym comes from. And what it stands for is Purpose, Information, Value, Analysis, System, Evaluation. So purpose is what we've just really been talking about. What is it we're hoping to achieve? Mm. Then information, what do we know that's going to help us forecast? So obviously, you might know what it is you want to achieve, but if you don't have the data that's going to back that up, then you're going to have problems. So say you want to be able to forecast what's going to happen tomorrow. And so you want to do sort of daily forecasting, but if you've only got data that's aggregated to weekly, you're not going to be able to do that. So it's mm-hmm. then just been able to adjust your information or your purpose to fit what data you've got. Then you've got the values, that's again what we've just been talking about is what would you pay to have the perfect knowledge of the future event? And there's a really good example of that in this book where if you think of the weather forecast, I think that's like one of the first things people think of when think of forecasting is the weather. If you think if you know what the weather's gonna be like tomorrow, it might help you a bit. You might decide it's gonna rain, I'll wear a rain jacket or I'll take an umbrella. Most of the time, you realise that the forecast is wrong and it's actually sunny and you should have brought your sunglasses. But although that information's useful, I don't think many people would pay to know what the weather was going to be like tomorrow.
3: Yeah.
2: You'd probably just take the risk. However, if you were a farmer, you might pay for really accurate weather data because your life sort of depends on your crops. So you, that's something that you would pay for. So that's one thing um, this book was going on about is what what's the value to you of knowing how good or being able to forecast really, really accurately, which is something that I thought was quite nice. Then the analysis—the oh, A stands for analysis. So that's selecting the best model. So obviously there's loads and loads of models out there for forecasting. Um, sometimes what we do at Peak is we'll, instead of just using one forecasting method, we'll use a range of our favourite forecasting methods over the same data set, but we'll always hold off a bit for testing. And then we'll test the forecasting methods against each other to then pick whatever is going to be the best model to then forecast from and that can actually change over time so it might be that in one month one model works better but then as the data is changing the demand is changing it might actually be that another forecasting method works best
1: that's really interesting um i mean uh, doing a model a model selection in a like in a static problem seems difficult enough but when you try and say okay which model will behave best for the upcoming month.
2: Yeah. It seems like it's
1: even more complicated problem.
2: Yeah, but we just try and base a guess on what model predicted well this month, sure. and then we'll use that one going forward. And we are trying to be a bit more clever instead of throwing every single forecasting method known to man into one, like the data set straight through it. What we've decided to do is actually classify the time series beforehand. Okay. So um, what... So obviously, like time series and demand patterns can change. You can have things like frequent data where it's you're getting the demand, the same demand every day or every week. So they're they're the best type of data sets that we want. They're the mm-hmm. ones that we want to forecast. But obviously, that's not always the case. We've always got other types of data sets like intermittent demand. So that's where you might only get it uh, the demand like every second month or maybe even less regular than that. You also have like things like lumpy demand, so that's where the time between the demands are regular and the actual demand itself is irregular. Mm. Um, so that's like the nightmare mm. <laughs> to, to forecast. But there is different methods which work better in different scenarios. So in the case of the intermittent demands, there's um, a good method called Croston's, which is probably the go-to method. So if you knew your time series was intermittent, you wouldn't put a REMA or you wouldn't try to use a remote or exponential smoothing. You would probably just straight away use costings. Okay. That's
1: really interesting. Man. I didn't even realise that was a thing. So um, it makes a lot of sense.
2: Though. Yeah. And then another thing you do is think about looking at the demand at different time horizons. So it might be the case that something's intermittent at a weekly level, but if you were to aggregate it at a monthly level, you might then realise that you've got a frequent Mm -hmm. demand level but then again it goes back to the whole but what do you plan to do with that information so if if it is intermittent it might be the case that you're a manufacturing company if you know it's intermittent you might not bother making that product unless you've got an order for it and then you could do it sort of based on or just making it to order whereas if it was a frequent product you might decide to make it in batch to begin with and then Mm -hmm. store some of it knowing that you're going to get the demand for it.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm going to book you after, the, um, after we finish recording to try and get some um, vlog recommendations or something, because I'd really like to hear from
0: you. Yeah, yeah,
2: definitely. definitely. And then just to finish off my acronyms, um, we've got S, which is Developing a System Capable of Simultaneous Forecasts of Different Time Horizons. So that's basically, once you've decided what you're going to forecast, a lot of the time we're working with like retailers who have like thousands and thousands of SKUs across thousands of locations. So it's just trying to come up with some sort of way that they can then digest that information. And whether that's giving them an API that they can call whichever SKU and location that they're interested in, or maybe they just want a dashboard that they can see all the forecast at once.
1: Yeah, and I, was, I, I can't remember reading something on maybe. So you've got 5,000 SKUs mm. and you're trying to make a prediction for... SKUs. So the way yeah. I think about uh, products SKUs is just a unique identifier for each product. Yeah. And there's probably a good definition. Like an
3: ISBN for a book?
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, but say so you've got 5,000 um, SKUs um, and you want to make a, um, a prediction for each of those for a format, you end up with 70,000 individual data points Mm. and acting upon them and doing stuff like that is certainly not a job for any one individual that's required automation
2: but then again it goes back to what is it you're wanting those forecasts for yeah because is it because you're trying to replenish then you could have some sort of automated replenishment in there where you say if the forecast or if the level in stock goes below a certain percentage of the forecasts that's when you need to um, send a signal out to say we need more stock in the store well, but it might be very sense. rare that you've got someone sitting going through all 70,000 Yeah, it no, doesn't seem practical at all no. but no, that makes a
1: lot of sense um, okay, looking at other
2: APIs Sorry, mm-hmm. can I just... yeah, And the final one is just e-evaluation so it's comparing past results with the forecasts that were made and there's an interesting point in the book as well that people don't tend to do this, which surprised me that they just assume that the forecasts are right and just carry on and they never actually go back and evaluate it so that's something we always make sure we do at peak, is make sure that our forecast are still running. Because um, what we'd hope to do is, once we've analysed the forecast, picked our best models and put it into a system, we want to just be able to let them go. But obviously, if things start to go a bit weird, we just need to have a bit of human intervention to say, what's not working? Is it because we need to change some of the models, tweak some of the parameters?
1: Right. So is that like one of those situations where um, the, real world, the real world has changed? Itself. Yeah, exactly.
2: And it could be the case that maybe I keep bringing up the intermittent demand um, patterns, but I think it's just quite a good example to explain things. Mm-hmm. If you think that if a product was intermittent, so we decided to use Crosstons, if all of a sudden that become quite a popular item, then maybe it's the case that we need to actually use ARIMA or Exponential Smoothing instead on that.
3: Right. I mean, if, if the company decides to do a... A marketing campaign on a new product or like to reinvigorate mm-hmm. an old product, and that's going to change how yeah, it behaves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: So there's uh, one of the examples I haven't feared about like, the artificial intelligence systems, and it's working great, but somehow we need to change yeah. <laughs> Okay,
3: I'm surprised that my that there. I was talking about
1: that in Harry last night, it's okay, no one else was there. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: with that evaluation, just to sort of, clarify for myself, oh. yeah, um you predict next week, then next week would happen, and you gather the actual data for that week, and then you compare what actually happened with what was predicted. Yeah, exactly.
2: But yeah, it's surprising that, according to the book, they didn't seem to think that many people were actually doing that evaluation part. But I guess as soon as that week's happened, you're too busy thinking ahead to forecast in the next weeks.
1: Yeah. And that was one of the things around um, Facebook Profit, wasn't it? That people wanted to have a tool that they could automate make lots sort of forecasts and then leave it to it. So I guess people aren't actively monitoring it. It
2: could go a bit crazy. Yeah.
1: yeah. Cool. Um, so, the next one is, um, I was reading, actually, that's not the of the auto aggressively state uh, based models, because... No, that's
2: fine. Was, was weird, so that was me. Um,
1: I was looking at a status model and there's what things two and I remember reading a bit about um, Auto-aggressive, I don't know what status of state of models are, but someone was talking about them at last week. Oh, okay.
3: so I was curious.
1: Um, Do you know which one
3: was that? Which talk?
1: Um, I think it was Mary.
3: Oh, okay. But, oh, yeah, because then she moved to a network one,
1: didn't she? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, should we go on to your favourite forecasting libraries? Yes. Mm, yeah. Joe, we're right. What? Right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Just jump in. One. Yeah, um, so you've already mentioned Croston's already um, and Arima and some other things. Can you tell us more about what, what, your favourite libraries, what do they do and what's so great about them?
2: Yeah, so I'm an R user, so all my favourite libraries are biased to R. Um, I guess you can't have a forecasting talk without mentioning the forecast package in R. Mm. Um, it's a really, really great package, especially if you're new to forecasting. It was written by Bob heyman who's the god of forecasting. Yeah. They've got a really, really great team over in Australia who are constantly updating packages and actually making another package, which I'll talk about in a sec. The forecasting package contains a lot of the traditional forecasting tools, so ARIMA, Exponential Smoothing, Hot Winters. So um, ARIMA
3: stands for...
2: Autoregressive moving averages, and the eyes sort of an integrated where you take differences of the time points before. So I guess forecasting package is really good um, because you can run the different forecasting models, set different time horizons. So that's how far in the future you want to forecast. You use time series objects where you can set the frequency of your time series objects. So the frequencies whether it's got monthly data, weekly data, hourly data yearly data, quarterly data and then your time horizon would be one time point or two time points whatever you set that to be. It's also got the option to plot your forecast to see how it looks against the true data and also um, to calculate the accuracy of the forecasts. So that's like a really good go-to forecasting package and then the mesh method that I mentioned earlier can be found in the TS intermittent package which I think is written by Nikos Krentes um, who is a professor at Lancaster University so they're sort of the two traditional forecasting packages I'd always recommend I've also started to use Profit quite a lot mm. so Profit is actually a package that's written both in Python and R I've never used the Python version but I believe it works and it's yeah, there I've used it, it's fine
1: yeah it's a really really cool yeah, it's really easy to use, i am not like, no kind of in forecasting, that's yeah. the only one I've ever used Oh,
0: so yeah. it's definitely approachable <laughs>
2: <laughs> it does quite a lot of stuff as well it's based on sort of additive or multiplicative models where you can add in seasonality trend mm-hmm. it's really good that you can add in change points so if you knew that something happened that's changed how the data looks you can put that date in yeah. or it can automatically detect your change points for you it also has the option to put in holiday dates so you can put in like Christmas Thanksgiving and it'll automatically adjust from that from the year before we've used it for things like promotions if we know that something's going to be on promotion you can put that as a holiday within the profit model and it will take the previous times where it was also on promotion so that's a really good package and then the final one is tidy verts which i'm less experienced with but it's a new one from the rob heidman forecasting group in australia and it's a tight it's more of a I guess, a time series group of packages um, where they're trying to get time series more into sort of the Tidyverse way okay. of working, so bringing it more up to speed with using Heather becomes Tidyverse. Mm. Um, but within that, there's the Fable package, which I believe is like, a revamped version of the forecast package um, but I've not looked into it as much because it looks really really great We're really excited about this package but it's all still on github being developed every day so a little less stable than using the traditional forecast package sure
3: gotcha that's okay. really cool yeah um, it's so profit I've not heard of profit before but is it um is it free in open source it's
2: open source I think it was developed by people at Facebook, Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can find out that it's, it's facebook.io yeah. or something. It'll be in the show um, notes anyway, I'll put a link to it. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's a yeah, yeah, way to use
1: just... for wheels as well, getting started as well.
0: Cool. It does these amazing plots for like seasonality, so if you, if you wanted to plot like the seasonality effect of your model, mm-hmm. you would, I don't know how the other libraries work, but I assume you would have to sort of like narrow it down on like, average different weeks or something, by default, after you fit it, it just plots like daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, for you, just straight away. So I, I found it, like, like I say, really approachable. Yeah, and it also
2: does the same sort of plots for the holiday days yeah. as well. So you can see like how big a step that actually had an impact. So you could then go back and say, we've seen that when you've had this product in promotion, you're getting twice the amount of sales than you were when you didn't have it in promotion sort of thing.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. one of the
1: um, interesting things with additive models, it like helps you understand it gives a bit more of a causative, um, I'm not sure if it's truly causative, but more, weird. it's easier to interpret it on a causative model.
3: Gotcha. Yeah, definitely. What I've used, so so far in my experience, um, I've used the, and so I'm, I write in Python, and Python has a, there's a library of stats models mm-hmm. Um, and they've got. I think they're um, Arima and Hot Hot Winters. Hot Winters. I want to say Hot Summers. <laughs> hot Winters. Like I think I think how they're written is very much uh, based on the art packages and how they've been. Okay. So I think they've been just just being translated into Python. I think. Um, but yeah, so I've been trying to use those. But I'm going to look into this profit next. I think. It's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely, definitely recommend it. You've already touched on a few um, challenges in forecasting in retail, Um, so can you tell us more about those challenges? Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, I guess forecasting in retail is something that we've been thinking about more and more recently, and there is lots of challenges that we're realising exist in forecasting within the retail sector. Uh, obviously, I've already mentioned before, you've got things like intermittent demand or different demand profiles of individual SKUs and also just the sheer volume of SKUs that you're trying to forecast across multiple locations. One thing that's quite interesting that we start to think about is what happens when you've got new stock. So in retail, if you think about even like the clothing industry, not the same item of clothing doesn't appear in the shops year mm-hmm. on year or even season on season. So how do you know, right from the start, how many blue shirts you should be buying this year? And that's really interesting because you obviously don't have any historical data to use, yeah. but you do have historical data on other stuff. Yeah. So it's then trying to like use um, metadata about the product to then link it to similar products before and then try and work out if that's still going to be in trend or whether it was similar to something that was random. Yeah. in the past year, which isn't going to be popular this year.
1: So is that a kind of a use case of pre-processing by doing a whole classification model?
2: Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess you would, because you'd want to sort of cluster similar items together mm. um, and to try and work out yeah, where the is going to be for this new item, given that you know it's, it's blue and it's a shark, say, for example. Yeah. You could then look back at previous shark sales and previous blue shark sales, and then try and work out whether they there's some sort of trends there that you can use to forecast going forward and then once you've got your new stock and you've decided how much stuff you need in place it's in the whole replenishment trying to work out when to add more stock into the stores whether it's not selling that well so maybe you don't need to have it in stock but obviously I think over seasons the sales trend changes. Mm. So at the start of the season, you might be selling jackets, but your, tra- your your sales velocity is quite slow. Does that mean you should be getting rid of jackets to another store? Or is it just a case that actually, at this time of year, jackets don't sell that well anyway, because you're just getting into autumn, but give it a few more weeks and it's starting to sell, so maybe just leave your, your stock there?
1: So in that kind of situation, would you perhaps have a different model predicting the but you can de- demand specifically of different SKU classes. I mean, that sounds really tricky. <laughs> no, I think you would,
2: and that's for um, sort of coming to hierarchical forecasts. So yeah. instead of um, forecasting at a SKU level, you could go up a level and forecast at a product group level. So you could forecast at your jackets, your t shirts, and then you might go up another level to um, like gender, and then another level just to be like overall store as a whole. Um, Hierarchical forecasting is quite interesting because you can do your forecasts top up and bot- no, bottom up and top down. Um, so you could be forecasting at an individual SKU level, but actually you don't have much data there. Hmm. And that's where we we'll go back to intermittent forecasting. You don't have a huge amount of data, especially if you're at an individual SKU and an individual size. So what you could do so, is.
1: Sorry, I just want to make sure I'm understanding correctly. So when you say a top down forecast, that'd be saying I want, to, and I want to predict how much money are we going to make over this time period. When you're doing bottom up, bottom up, you'd be predicting from all these skews, this is the, these are how much we want to, um, to make from each individual one, and then aggregating them all together.
2: Yeah, so you, so you would, fo- cool. yeah, so bottom up, you would forecast at the individual skew level, and then you would pull the results on that to get it up to like the depth uh, product level, mm-hmm. and then from the product level up to like the gender level, and then from the gender level up to the store level. Whereas the other way around, you would go store to um, product to skew, okay. uh, which is quite a good way to do it because you have more information, so it's easier to forecast at the store level and then try and aggregate that down into the SKU level as it is to try and take skew levels, which could be quite intermittent and try and get some good forecasts from that could be quite difficult. Okay, that's interesting. And then I guess another thing that we're finding interesting at the moment is trying to pull Data from different parts of the business to forecast. What we're realising is, in some, or quite a lot of the companies we work with, actually, the what's happening in store and what's happening in the warehouse and what's happening in the merchandising team can all be quite disjointed from each other. So the forecasts don't really interlink. And what we're starting to think about more now is actually pulling together both sides of our business, where we've got customer data and forecasting to try and come up with better forecasts. Because what we're doing in the other team is suggesting when people should be sending out marketing campaigns, what products should they be putting in their emails, who should they be targeting. But you could then feed that back into the forecast to say, we're just about to send out a marketing campaign on these trainers, so we expect demand for these trainers to increase. Hmm. But then you can sort of use that going the other way, that if you see your demand... Or your forecast going down for a certain product and you know that you're not going to be able to sell it as quickly as you thought or you might end up being left with loads of product at the end of the season what you might want to then do is influence your marketing campaign so that you can then sell through sell that um, stock quicker.
1: I mean that sounds like obviously the exact use case you are doing it for but from a data <laughs> science point view, it sounds like a nightmare understanding um, your cognitive <laughs> factors.
2: I think so but I think actually it's just, the starting point is just a case of getting all the data in one place. Mm. And I think in some of these businesses, that don't have that yet. They're all using different systems or they're using different aggregations of the same system. And what we're quite good at doing at peak is trying to bring businesses data all into one place. And it is a bit of a headache, but given a few data scientists and some engineers, you can sort of start making the stories that creates a whole picture of how something's been sold. Cool.
1: I mean, I've never been in an organization but it's had a
2: good haul of that data? <laughs> yeah, and I guess that sort of leads into something that I've been reading up recently. It's about the one number forecast. And I think um, I posted a blog, a tweet about the blog post. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a blog post written by Nikos Karentes, who I mentioned earlier. He's a professor at Lancaster University, and what he was talking about is something similar to what I've just mentioned before. Is businesses tend to be disjointed in the data that they're using to make their forecasts. So if you're in merchandising, you might have your forecast. But if you're in finance, you might have a different forecast. And if you're in the warehouse, you might have something a bit different. And the one number forecast, what it tries to do is bring together cross-sectional and temporal hierarchies of the business and use all that data to come up with one forecast which agrees with everyone. So, so
1: you so said cross time Cross-temporal hierarchical forecasts.
2: Can you explain what that means, please? Not really. <laughs> no, it's just looking at the different, I guess, in the different businesses, some people look at forecasting at a daily level and some people look at the annual level for, like, say, like finance. But it's looking at taking it across the different hierarchies of time periods as well as the cross sectional So that was what we were talking about earlier, like the brands and the actual SKUs. So in the warehouse or in an actual shop, you might be interested at SKU level because you want to know how many of that individual product you need to have on your shelves. So you might have, in order to forecast that, you might have um, the historical demand for that product or a similar type of product. But then if you're merchandising, you might be working at the brand level and then you might have a relationship with a particular type of brand or you might have some sales targets for a particular type of brand so you might be forecasting at that level using some sort of knowledge um, on what your strategic goals are at that brand, but then that might not feed into the SKU forecasts. So the one number forecast is trying to bring those together um, to use all that data to come up with one number, which is both levels can use in the strategies, which is going to agree with each other mm-hmm. instead of the shop saying, we want 100 and the, the brand saying you're getting three because <laughs> that's how we're forecasted. It's just to try and make sure everything's in agreement, yeah. and that's something that's really interesting. We've not really looked into it that much, but I think now that we're starting to think about using the data across all but parts of businesses, I think that's something that we're really going to have to think about, so that we're not going back to a customer with like numbers that aren't agreeing.
1: Mm-hmm. So when, when you're speaking to people across uh, multiple different departments, they have their own inter- like relationships with each other. That mm-hmm. Are um, often complex,
2: to say the least. Yeah, exactly.
3: Uh, do you have any tech heroes?
2: Yeah, so I've mentioned both of them already today. Uh, the first one's Rob Hyman, the god of forecasting. He's got a book, Forecasting Principles and what is it? Forecast Principles and Practice book. That's my go-to forecasting book for anything. Anyone that joins the team, I get give, give a copy of that book. It's an online book, um, free to access. It's got all the information about forecasting and also walks you through how to do all the forecasting in R. And it's got example data sets. So really, really clear, easy to follow. Um, goes into more complex problems at the end, such as hierarchical forecasting, seasonality. Um, but yeah, really, really good. Um, what's really great is he's, he's got a blog. Um, it's called Hindsight Blog, which is mm-hmm. really well named. Um, so he's actively still blogs about different things in forecasting so I always find that really interesting to read and I mentioned earlier the forecasting team that he's got at Australia they're working on the TidyVarts um, time series packages in R and they look really exciting and keen to get like using them a lot more so that's really cool and then my second tech hero, I guess in forecasting is Nikos Krentes up in Lancaster um, so he was there at Lancaster when I was doing my PhD. He's a professor. He's also got a blog, I think it's just Nikos Krentis, where he blogs quite a lot about forecasting, um, especially intermittent demand is really interesting, and what we are talking about just before on the one number forecast that came from his blog as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure we've got a link up to those blogs. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the software that comes with
3: it. Yeah. But, and, yeah and the book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do you have any
3: other non... You said these are my forecasting tech, hero, uh, tech heroes, but do you have any tech heroes that are not in forecasting? I guess the first person that comes to my head is
2: Hadley Wickham. Yeah. Yeah. Since I'm an R user, the Tidyverse is amazing. Hadley Wickham's a bit of a rock star when it comes to R. Yeah,
3: Can you explain a bit more about the Tidyverse? Because I see that being banded around on, on Twitter, and I've heard it a lot, but I'm not entirely sure what it is. So I guess in R there's base
2: R, which it's like the traditional way of using R. And then the tidyverse is just, I don't, how, I don't know how you explain it, just another way to do stuff in R. I, th- I think of it as PyData, but for R. So, in the same way, you can use raw
1: Python to read JSON and organize your data. Um, it's a nightmare. And R, and R is much better, like base mm. R is much better for, uh, use, for archiving your data. But um, the tidyverse takes it a whole other level.
2: Um, yeah, so then the Tails actually uses pipes. So I don't know if you've ever come across pipes. I don't know what the it's, it's is. It's similar to the uh,
1: pipe notes, I think. It's similar to the pipe notation, just you get in terminal.
2: So you do an operation. Yeah, so you set up your data frame and then you pipe it into whatever you want to do next. So you might group by, or you might arrange, which is where you order your data frame, or you might retake, which is where you're adding on columns to your data frame, or summarizing where you might want to take a few columns, add them together, but you don't want the rest of your data frame, so you'd summarize it. Mm. But you, the way the pipes work, it sort of follows that logical steps. So in base R, you would have, I guess, data frame equals data frame plus a column, but then the type, I'm not explaining that well at all. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sorry, i mean, sorry, I realized halfway through, and am saying, the the operator signed the pipe. It's not a pipe. Is it, is it greater than something?
2: It's like it's is it the it's a percentage greater than percentage. Right, right. I would completely
1: um, But I don't know that. what you
2: call that pipe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've read it as like I, I follow some use on Twitter
2: and mm-hmm.
1: I've seen it referred to, and I, I think it are saying now that's pipe.
3: Yeah. So that's like that. Well, maybe we can add a link. There's probably a website, a Tidyverse website. Yeah, is there? I, I already put it
1: I'll put in the
0: Yeah, I'll probably cut it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <But> we'll <care laughs> <enough> try <about> that.
3: <laughs> Sorry, it's my fault. No, no, I'm just saying. No, I
1: think it's good that we not just we reach out to our own users more. Because uh,
3: yeah.
1: I've used a little bit of R and enough of the Tidyverse to know that it's a massive game changer. Um,
0: yeah,
3: yeah, I think the earliest time I heard about Tidyverse. It was in the context of uh, making all data frames, so you'd always be working on a data frame that has long format, not wide format, so mm-hmm. that was something I thought, oh, I yeah. guess that, but that's the only thing yeah. I know about. Hadley
1: Wickham's Rippen, paper on um, tidy data, is like, it's still referred to a year or two. Mm. Yeah, because it's just so useful, the idea of going from long data to wide data and the importance of it.
3: Oh, so they, wait, they're, advocate, they're advocating to go to wide format? Well, it's not, not that. advocating
1: for either. it's oh. understanding the use of oh, long, um, okay. long data and
3: yeah. what. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really good. Right. It's really. Good. Um, you mentioned right at the start. You mentioned a book, business forecasting, or something. Um,
2: Principles of business forecasting. Something like that.
1: You didn't mention the author.
2: So that is Nikos Karantazis and Robert Fields. There might be more authors there, I can't remember, He's but yeah. So, to yeah, Robert Files and Lucas Quintez, both at Lancaster. Isn't the College at Lancaster? Yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> I think um, they're unrelated though. <laughs> I'm um,
0: yeah, do you get that down yet? Yeah, well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> principles of Business Forecasting? Principles <laughs> of Business Forecasting. But, um, I'm going down. Nikos we can always have. I've got the name. Right? I yeah. said, yeah. yeah.
3: names, yeah, Something that's pretty cool.
0: I'll probably just cut everything like from the tidy first question. <laughs> I've written like so
1: much here with so many mm. question marks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we just need to say thank you. Thank yeah. You. Um, thank you to Pete. Um do, do you want to say anything? Do you want to say anything since have you said anything? That's fine, you can probably, do. Yeah. Okay. What do, you do Okay. Why don't you do it? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um
3: it's always, like, it's always like The first swearing! Oh, um, this has been really cool. Thank you very much, Katie Haynes, for taking time out of, of your day to speak with us and be your, our guest on our episode 3 podcast.
2: So, well, thank you very much for having me. It's been really great. Um, it's great just to be able to ramble about forecasting for half an hour or so. Um, yeah. Definitely one of my favourite subjects. I guess if anyone's interested to find out a bit more, wants to chat about any of the problems that we've discussed or just wants to know how to forecast in general, um, get in touch with either myself or come to Peak and we can sit and have a cup of tea and talk more about forecasting. Awesome. Cool. And thank you
3: to Peak as well for hosting us. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much, Kayleigh. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>
0: i Jennifer says bye. <laughs> <laughs>